A reading from the prophet Ezekiel. For thus says the Lord God, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As shepherds seek out their flocks when they are among their scattered sheep, so I will seek out my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places to which they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries, and I will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the watercourses and in all the inhabited parts of the land. I will feed them with good pasture, and the mountain heights of Israel shall be their pasture. There they shall lie down in good grazing land, and they shall feed on rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I will make them lie down, says the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, but the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them with justice. Therefore, thus says the Lord God to them, I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep. Because you pushed with flank and shoulder and butted at all the weak animals with your horns until you scattered them far and wide, I will save my flock, and they shall no longer be ravaged, and I will judge between sheep and sheep. I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. And now a reading from the Gospel of Matthew. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate people one from another as a, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, you that are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food, or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you, or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, Truly, I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. Then he will say to those at his left hand, You that are accursed, depart from me into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me, naked, and you did not give me clothing, sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer, 
Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and we did not take care of you? He will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. For the good news of Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Good morning, United Parish. I'm so honored to be with you this Sunday morning and honored to have been invited to join my fellow seminarians in returning to share summer worship with a community that has sustained and nourished each of us professionally and spiritually. That nourishment that rootedness in the faith you live out every single day at UP has helped our little crew grow on to so many ministries across so many different communities and spaces. We work in churches and on campuses. Congrats, Anna. Uh, we work in retreat centers and yes, even on Zoom. And because y'all know I'm a dyed-in-the-wool, cheerful optimist who likes to keep things as light and breezy as possible, I decided to follow up my time at UP with a residency in hospital chaplaincy during the emergence of a once-in-a-lifetime pandemic, followed by full-time chaplaincy in hospice and palliative care. It's okay to laugh here, I promise. The years since I have been with all of you have been full of nearly too many headlines to name. COVID and its variants fueled by the disinformation crisis, catastrophic climate-fueled wildfires and extreme weather, the largest mass protest movement for black lives in our nation's history, an economic crash, an election with record-breaking turnout, a domestic attack on the U.S. state capital, and the fall of Afghanistan to the Taliban. I could keep listing headlines, but I think it's worth stopping and just being frank here. In the years since I've been with you, my United Parish family, I've been thinking a lot lately about the end of the world. To put it even more bluntly, when Kent first told me that the theme of the 50th anniversary was rooted in the past and reaching into our future, I had two reactions. My first reaction was a big smile and an awe that is perfect for United Parish. And my second reaction, spoken in that tiny nudging voice of fear that sits just somewhere between my chest and my stomach, Ask simply, why are we so sure that there will be a future to reach into? I know that's a scary question, but I don't think I'm alone in asking it. And the protective silence we may try to draw around it will only force us to carry it alone, in secrecy and in shame. By contrast, I believe that the living faith of this congregation is a faith called to face hard questions together. And this is perhaps one of the hardest ones we've got. The bad news is that it's a hard question Jesus faced too. And our gospel reading for this morning is not going to be a distraction from all of this end of the world talk. 
Far from it. The bright side, however, is that we are in good company in holding it together. Today's reading is an excerpt from Jesus' final discourse in the Gospel of Matthew, the last long teaching he'll give to his followers before his eventual arrest and execution. The content of the lesson is apocalyptic to be sure, with all its talk of angels and last judgments, thrones of glory. But we can imagine the mood among Jesus's audience in this passage was equally heavy that morning. Those gathered to hear Jesus speak would be familiar with the growing chorus of country preachers and cosmopolitan elites alike, talking openly of conspiracy theories, of chaos, revolution, the end of time. Violence is common in the streets, as is rampant disease, as is the not-so-distant suspicion that everything is simply about to fall apart. It's a world in transition between ruling regimes, between governing ideas of truth, between generations and cultures, between all the old assumptions of the past and the uncertainties of the future. It's a threshold world, a world teetering on the brink. Does that sound familiar? I thought so. We can imagine those gathered to listen to Jesus that morning would have many of the same private fears and desires that we might have right now, even though they would have only known the word delta as a letter of the Greek alphabet. Like us, they probably craved certainty, a bright line telling them exactly what to believe and how to make it all make sense. They wanted statements of faith and party platforms. Staring down the void of the future, they probably struggled to answer their children's questions. They probably felt fear deep in their bones. And when we let our imaginations really root us creatively into the distant past of this text, we can see that Contrary to every well-meaning email that has landed in our inboxes since March of 2020, our times actually are not unprecedented. They are indeed precedented, emotionally and spiritually, even if the facts of our time are unique. The distant past is actually not so distant at all. Jesus knew what it meant to feel like your world was ending, and it concerned him enough that he devoted his final meaningful public teaching to thinking through what we should do about it. So what guidance does Jesus offer his listeners, this scared, lonely, exhausted crowd hungry for a point-by-point -point explanation? Does he offer a policy analysis, a theory of everything, advice for securing the best doomsday prep bunker at a reasonable price? Nope. He talks instead about cooking, about laundry and small talk with friends and strangers. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world, Jesus says. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. 
Now, many of us have probably heard Jesus's words here repeated countless times. Feed the hungry, clothe the naked, welcome the stranger, care for the sick and visit the imprisoned. But rarely do we remember the context in which these everyday acts of care are presented. In the last judgment, at the end of the world. When we look at them this way, we have to ask, what is all this boring everyday life stuff doing smack dab in the middle of the apocalypse? As I was chewing on Jesus's lesson in this text, I decided to revisit one of my favorite movies, uh, Wings of Desire, directed by Vim Vendors. Like Jesus's lesson from this text, Wings of Desire is set in a world beset by apocalypse, past and present. Our main characters, two angels named Damiel and Cassiel, wander the streets of a still-divided Berlin in 1987. Unseen and unheard by the many human beings they encounter, and yet able to telepathically hear their deepest thoughts, Damiel and Cassiel bear quiet, invisible witness to the inner lives of the city's mortal citizens. The weight of the 20th century bears heavily on the humans Damiel and Cassiel follow. The horrors of Nazi and Soviet rule are still within the living memory of the people they observe, and the promise that the world can just fall apart once again seems to hang in the air. The angels watch and listen as most of the humans continually respond by choosing to distance themselves from one another, to withdraw into private worries of terror and distrust. Mere eye contact between humans is rare in the film, and acts of true friendliness or love are rarer still. Given all of this, we may expect the angels to be focused on piles of black and white answers the humans try to give for everything that is happening and will happen in the future. But instead, what delights and fascinates the angels are the simple, joyful moments of human experience. Children gathered in wonder and delight at a circus. Strangers huddled together by a coffee cart on a cold night. In one scene, the angel Damiel encounters a motorcyclist who has just gotten into an accident and is in critical condition. This dying man's world is quite literally ending. For him, the apocalypse is not a grim possibility, but an immediate reality. Damiel lovingly holds the man's head between his hands and listens as the man speaks aloud his final thoughts, a litany of what really mattered most in his life. The boathouse floating in the lake, Stromboli, the morning light, my child's eyes, the spots of the first drops of rain, bread and wine, my mother, my father, my wife. As viewers, we never learn if the man survives, but it doesn't matter. In this scene, the angel bears witness to a truth at the heart of the film and a truth at the heart of this morning's lesson. As mortal beings who will all eventually die, 
Every single day is an apocalypse for someone. Every death is the end of someone's world. And when it comes for us, it will be the end of our world too, both mine and yours. What really mattered at the end of the man's world was not the fact that he had the right answer for everything. What mattered instead, what truly imbued his life with dignity and divinity was the simple, ordinary work of being human. The people he loved, the beauty he witnessed, the acts of kindness he performed, the meals he shared, that's it. By talking about feeding the hungry and welcoming the stranger in the same breath as he talks about the end of time, maybe what Jesus is trying to point us toward here is a reminder that none of us can weasel our way out of our world's ending when our lives end. No matter how we might try to beat this fact back with our delusions of certainty or control. We are called to do the work of justice and to prevent suffering whenever and wherever we can, but we can't do this with the illusion that any of us, ultimately, are making it out of here alive and apocalypse-free. In fact, the only absolute certainty I can give you in my sermon this morning is that in the future we're all reaching into, the only thing I can guarantee is that each and every one of us will die. To live with that knowledge is to know that the apocalypse is already among us and around us. And as we find ourselves here in United Parish, smack dab between the past and the future, our faith tells us that what really matters is not how we will think or worry our way out of the end of our world. The gospel, this living word, is about how we will live into it in the meantime. In the early days of the pandemic, when I was still working as a hospital chaplain, I received a phone call from a patient's husband. The patient, his wife of decades, was rapidly declining from the virus, and her husband knew that he would likely be unable to see her before she died. As I stood by the glass outside his wife's pressurized isolation room and listened to him on the other end, he did not tell me about the meaning of the universe. He did not present a statement of faith, a manifesto, a policy paper. He didn't win any arguments in the comments section. He told me instead about washing his wife's feet. He told me about humming her favorite songs, cooking her meals, tucking a lock of gray hair behind her ear. He wept and said thank you. Whether he was talking to her spirit, or to me, or to God, I'm not really sure. But in that moment, he knew what really mattered. He spoke it aloud. He shared what he had done and seen in his life spent with her. Our lives are so fragile. They always have been. We are always living on the brink, on the edge, at the threshold. Every single day carries the possibility of our last judgment. 
As the philosopher and mystic Simone Weil once wrote, human existence is so fragile a thing and exposed to such dangers that I cannot love without trembling. And to this Jesus says, keep loving even if you are trembling. Keep feeding and being fed even as your world feels like it is spinning out of control. Keep clothing the naked, keep calling the sick, keep welcoming the stranger, keep checking in, keep loving your child and your grandmother and your coworkers, and yes, even the annoyed man behind you in traffic. Keep dancing, keep kissing, keep making art, keep noticing the morning light. Keep making your husband laugh. Keep washing your wife's feet. These things matter. They are, in the final calculation, the only things that really matter. And in a world where our apocalypse is guaranteed, our faith reaching into the future will look a lot less like reaching for answers and a lot more like reaching out to one another. This is how our lives will be measured. And our world is far too fragile and too precious to let any single moment be wasted. So, United Parish, get back to your good work. Time is short and the angels are watching. Amen. <laughs>